Good morning. Please remain standing in body and in spirit for today's scripture lesson, which is a reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Let's listen for the word of God. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have laid hold of it, but one thing I have laid hold of, forgetting what is past, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, toward the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to that which we have attained. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And please be seated, and thank you, Anita, for that wonderful reading of the Scripture lesson this morning. And good morning, Christ Church, family and friends. What a joy it is to be with each and every one of you today, whether you're here in person or joining us online. It is good for us to be together. What a special day in the life of the church. Uh, baptizing a baby in the early service and in this service as well. At the end of the service, you'll meet a, a new, newer couple who many of you have already met who will be uh, joining the church as well. And just the sweet spirit that is uh, present with us today as we worship together. Well, friends, let's, let's pray as we continue in worship. Loving God, God, we thank you that the promise is always fulfilled where two or more are gathered in your name. You are, you are in our midst and Oh, God, we thank you that you already have been powerfully present amongst us today in the early service, in this service here. Lord, even as we, as we called out together in our call to prayer to breathe on us, to fill us, that, um, that we may, may love what you love and do what you would do. Lord, we thank you that that very that very spirit is prevalent among us even now. That what we are feeling this morning is, is not merely a moment of emotion. It's your very spirit that is amongst us and tugging at our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to transform us more fully into your image. So now, Lord, now, Lord, I pray as always that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer, and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Well, it's been more than a few years ago that CBS came up with a new action reality game show called The Amazing Race. Has anybody ever seen The Amazing Race? When it first came out, I was uh, pretty, uh, pretty sure to watch it every week when it came on. And if you're not familiar with it, the, uh, the show goes something like this. It's a, it's a group of, of couples. It could be like a couple, like a married couple, or it could be friends, but it's two people. They, they have to know each other uh, and, uh, because the show is about relationships and teamwork and, and how that works. And sometimes the show is about how it doesn't work so well, but they literally travel the world and they go through different checkpoints and they have to face certain mental or physical uh, challenges. They have to read clues.
figure them out. And after they go through all of the checkpoints, the, the couple, the team that makes it through the final checkpoint first, well, that's the one that wins the prize. What is the prize? One million dollars. That's the prize when you win the show. And, well, I, I mentioned that today, the amazing race. Because when we look at the Apostle Paul, like we're doing in these weeks when we're looking at his letter to the church in Philippi, when we read much of his letters at all, we discover that Paul was a sports fan. He was a fan of athletics. Paul lived in a, in a, a Roman-dominated world, in a Hellenistic world, and the games, athletic contests, they were, were greatly prized. He would have seen the Isthmus games. He would have been aware of these foot races. He would have been aware of these uh, great contests and the coliseums and theaters in which they would take place. And he often used athletics as analogies for the Christian life and the life of faith, such as he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says, do, not, or do you not know that all runners in a stadium compete, but only one receives a prize, so run to win, and it follows. And, and then at Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And the very familiar passage from Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us get rid or lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. So today, as we continue our, our series on Philippians, the series that we call Becoming Free, we see Paul talking about an amazing race. Not the TV show, of course. It not just any amazing race that might have taken place in his day and time. We're talking about, and Paul's talking about, the amazing race of life and of faith that we are all somehow called to. And the prize is not $1 million, this race. When you obtain this prize, as you pursue this prize, you may still have money, but you won't worry about it so much because it, it won't be the priority, the priority in the prize is life lived in the power of the resurrection, to know Christ more fully, and to be made more like Him. But the thing about this particular race is this. Like any race, physical or otherwise, you can't engage in this race passively. You can't run this race by watching a YouTube video or just reading a book. You have to put your shoes on, and you have to get to it. You have to engage in this race in a very real way. And that's what we're doing in the spirit of that very thing, of putting our shoes on and recognizing that Paul is inviting us to put our shoes on. I've gone ahead and put my running shoes on for this sermon. And uh, I know in the back you can't see this very well. And don't worry, if you greeted me earlier... You didn't miss anything. I put these shoes on after the baptism. I didn't want to scare the children or alarm anyone. I slipped on my actual running shoes that I run in, that I train in uh, several times every week. Because when we hear the Scripture lesson this morning from Paul from Philippians, he really is giving us some, some pointers, some tips on how we run an amazing race of life and faith. And when we start out at chapter 12, as we heard this morning, Paul gives us the first tip 
and it's this. It's about developing a not-there-yet mentality. I'm so grateful that, that Paul starts there. At least it starts there in our, our passage this morning. Not that I've already attained this, he says. Not that I've already reached the goal, Paul writes. And I'm grateful that Paul does that because if you didn't hear him say that, you might think that Paul had already reached the prize, that he'd already arrived somehow spiritually or in life because of what Paul had done because of the eloquence with which he spoke and wrote and the brilliance of his arguments and the, the persuasive things that he would say, how he would speak with the, the Greek philosophers of his day and, and convince them in the way of Christ. Yet one who had gone from literally wrecking the church to running and planting new churches throughout Asia and, and Europe, you know, this one who had done so much for Jesus is now telling us, not that I've already gotten there, not that I've already arrived. I, I'm glad he says that because in other parts of his writings, he says things like, uh, imitate me, you know, do, do it like I'm doing it. And, and he's right to say that because Paul's on the right track. But isn't there something very, very powerful about knowing that we're not there yet? Isn't there something very good? Is it not good news indeed when we think about our race of life and faith to know that, well, we're still a work in progress? And being a work in progress, I mean, isn't, don't we say that um, necessity is the, is the uh, mother of invention, that uh, there's something that spurs us on of knowing that we're not quite there yet? I, I guess that if uh, it was easy uh, to carry things, that the wheel never would have been invented. If we liked eating cold hot dogs, we never would have figured out what to do with fire and to, to heat the food that we, that we eat. And really, when we think about running any kind of race, the thought of not being there yet, I mean, I, it's powerful. And I know a little something about this as I've run a few races, uh, foot races and triathlons, and the thought of not being ready for a marathon that I might be running in four months motivates me to a great degree to practice the things that I need to practice to be ready for that particular race in a few months. That's where Paul starts. That's the advice that Paul gives us for how we, how we run a great race. But, of course, he doesn't, he doesn't stay there when he's talking about this amazing race. He also has a word about focus. As Paul continues in the passage we heard this morning, uh, in addition to not that I've already attained this, not that I've already uh, received the prize, but he says, this one thing I do, this one thing. There's a lot of power in this one thing. And if you read Scripture, if you read it with that eye toward the one thing, there's a, there's a number of one things that we see in Scripture. And, and just a, a few of them, just a few of them, examples. Uh, there's just this, this one thing when the rich ruler approaches Jesus and wants to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Uh, they have this conversation back and forth about about the law and the Shema and how he's living his life. And he assures Jesus that he's, he's lived these things his, his entire life since he was young. And then Jesus says, you lack what? One thing. Go and sell all your possessions. Give the proceeds to the poor. Then come and follow me. And what about Mary and, and Martha when Jesus was at their house visiting? And you remember that story. Because Martha was the one back in the kitchen, getting frustrated because Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in his teaching, 
and she was getting frustrated and probably clanging pots and pans and finally says, Jesus, should, you know, shouldn't we be upset that Mary isn't, isn't helping? And Jesus responded, Martha, Martha, you worry, you worry about many things. Mary's, Mary's attending to the one thing, the best thing, and that was the presence and teaching of the Lord. And, and not just those things, but what about the blind man who was healed on the Sabbath in John's gospel? If you want to chuckle, look at it with a humorous eye in John chapter 9 sometime this afternoon. Jesus heals a, a man who had been born blind. And because he had done it on the Sabbath, the Pharisees were, were upset because you weren't supposed to perform such a miracle on the Sabbath. And it's like they, they begin a congressional investigation about the thing. They call the guy's parents in, and they're, they're, they're inquiring about that. Has he really been blind since birth, or has he somehow been faking it? Because he seems to be able to see now, and they put it back on the guy. And He's of age. You can talk to him yourself. And they go back to the man who had been healed, and he must be a sinner because he healed you on the Sabbath. And by the way, are you really a follower? And then he says something to the effect of, hey, you're asking so much about Jesus. Do you want to be his disciple as well? And that really made them mad. And that's when the guy said this to the Pharisees about Jesus. I don't know if he's a sinner, but this one thing he says, I do know. I was blind, but now I see. All the power of of focus, the power of this one thing Paul is speaking into. And when we think about athletics as analogous to life and faith, it it really does kind of speak into it, doesn't it? When you look at some of the, the best athletes that we've had in, in our generation, uh, we can see that they did the just one thing really well, but they might not have done other things that well. Take Michael better than LeBron Jordan. Um, I'm sorry, I kind of snuck that in a little bit about the better than LeBron, but um, Michael Jordan with the Chicago Bulls had this phenomenal career in the NBA and He was such an amazing, greatest of all time type basketball player. But then he played baseball. Not so good, if you remember that. Or what about Charles Barkley, another great basketball player of uh, of a recent generation, phenomenal college career, phenomenal NBA career. If you play golf, do this this afternoon. Google or search on YouTube, Charles Barkley Golf Swing. You will feel better about your game. He's not good at golf, but he was great at basketball. The just one thing. I think sometimes we're not having such a great race in life and in faith because we forget about the just one thing, and we're about so many things that were spread too thin. I, I know that's been operative in, in my life. I know that's happened to me in my life. I got to a point of, of literal crisis years ago when I was serving and, and leading in, in another church, and I'd gotten to a point in my life for a variety of reasons where I was joyfully embracing so many things in life and new things in life and exciting things in ministry and in life, and I felt that I was growing in my faith and, and growing professionally and growing in, my, growing in so many ways, and, and I discovered at one point that I had said yes to too many things, and I almost broke myself. And I almost broke some people and things around me. And I had to learn how to say no. And and even as I'm saying that, I'm aware that there are many of us listening to this message today and you're thinking, oh my goodness, that's me. 
I think I've said yes to too many things. There are moms here I know who've said yes to too many things. There are those in their careers who've said yes too many times in service of their career to their boss. Maybe we've even said yes too many times in church, and we keep doing the same thing over and over, and it's beginning to lose its meaning. Friends, I have learned over the years the holiness of the word no, (laughs) when it's an appropriate boundary that keeps me focused on the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. You've probably seen this before, but uh, I've seen it live. I've seen video versions of it, but it's when the the professor, and and one time we had some kind of an annual conference event for the Methodist Church in Kentucky where he was talking about priorities, and there's this big pile of rocks, and there's a pile of sand, and a big pitcher of water, and a, and, a, and a clear cylinder container on a table. And the guy asked, do you think all of this will fit in there? And some of us had seen the demonstration, some of us hadn't, so there were a variety of answers, but we knew we were going to get to see something. And, and that's when the guy did it. He first took the, the biggest rocks, and he put those in the cylinder. And you probably, have you seen this? Yeah, then you put the, the next size rocks, and you shake it. Then you put the pebbles, and you shake it. And then he took sand, and he poured sand in, and he, and he shook it. And the first time or two you see this, it's almost like a magic trick. You're thinking, how in the world can somebody fit that much stuff into one cylinder? And, and then eventually he pours the water in, and all of it, all of it was somehow held in that one container. And then he asked the question, well, what's the point? What's the point of this exercise? And somebody in the group raised their hand and they said, the point is, is that no matter how full your schedule is, you can always fit one more thing in. No, that was not the point of that exercise. The point of that exercise, of course, is about, is about priority and making sure that in life, in this case, the, the race of life and faith, is making sure that the big rocks find their way in first and foremost. And I don't know about you, it's easy to talk about that. It's not nearly as easy to actually do that in our life and in our faith. The question about focus would be, how are we drawn away from our focus? The question about priorities is how are we robbed of putting those big rocks into our lives? Paul continues when he's talking about this race of of life and faith because he talks about a commitment to a course. He says, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, he says, I press on toward the goal of this heavenly calling in Christ Jesus, this calling to know the, the power of resurrection, this calling to be made more into the image and likeness of Christ. And He talks about how he forgot what is in the past and was straining forward to what is ahead. And Paul was the kind of person who who really must have undoubtedly needed to kind of let the past be the past because Paul had a past. Because before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church. He oversaw the imprisonment of Christians and the trial of Christians, and in some cases, the execution of people who were following Jesus. Yet he had had his encounter of Christ. He had experienced the transforming power of his love through Jesus himself and through the Christian community. And this one who had been a wrecker of the church was now a runner of the church. 
someone who was blessing the church and growing the church and had surrendered his life to Christ and now was straining forward toward this call in this joyful and uplifting way, even while he's sitting under arrest waiting for trial and execution. It was a commitment to course. One who had been committed to the wrong course for so long had now committed to the right course, to the right thing, and he was on the right track as he did that. He uh, uses that word press on, and we look in the original languages, it means to exert. And again, looking at athletics, that example, it means to, to put forth a little sweat, to put forth a lot of effort. Paul was putting forth effort in this race of life and faith, and there's a call here to a commitment to a course, a commitment to follow after Jesus. And here we are on Super Bowl Sunday. And I have heard, I have read that more than 100 million people are going to be watching the Super Bowl tonight. I'm going to be one of them. Go Eagles. Yeah, I'm I'm there too, like somebody else said earlier. But I think they have an uphill battle because if they, like the Cincinnati Bengals, have to play against the Chiefs and the refs, they're going to have a really… I'm still working through this, friends. I'm still working through. I'm praying through this from last week. But whoever wins, I really don't care. But like so many, I'm going to be enjoying it. And I've received some memes this week from friends near and and far because I'm a pastor. I've received these memes on social media that they go something like this about how if we were as excited about church as we were about our football games that you would dump a thing of Gatorade on the pastor's head after church. now, you don't have to do that, okay, whether you enjoy the sermon or not, whether it's a win or it's a, let's not do, let's not do that. And I, I, I don't think the two things really go together that, although I think, they're, I think it's a funny meme, but when I do think about what I'm committed to, what we as, as those in the household of faith, what we really commit our lives to, when I examine myself inwardly, I do ask the question sometimes, what am I really committed to? Because if I were as committed to my spiritual practices as, as I would be to watching a football game or maintaining my social media status and accounts or to my golf game or to my or your whatever, I wonder what my life, I wonder what the church, I wonder what the community, I wonder what the world would look like and how it might be different. In uh, just a few days, a week from Wednesday, we're going to be observing Ash Wednesday. We're entering into a time of, of Lent, and one of the things that, that we, the staff, and our leadership th- that I'm calling us to, to a deeper spiritual practice for those weeks of Lent especially. And I hope you'll pay attention to what those are and join in those and intentionally reflect, as Lent is a season that calls us to do that, into how you are living out your faith, how you're practicing your faith, how you're committing yourself to a particular course that helps put you in a position to run the race well and faithfully in such a way that God is transforming your heart and leading you. And the, the last point, I'll, I'll, I'll move on because we want to get into the fellowship hall for the youth fundraiser it's not just a, it's not just a, 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 a thing to, to the course. It's, it's a call to community. That last verse we heard 
Paul talking about was, even if you, even if you think differently, let's bring this to the Lord. He used uh, a lot of we, we, us, us language in that. There was you in there as well, but there's a call to community in this call to run a faithful and effective race of life and faith. And there's something about that that is, again, very analogous to athletics, very analogous to any of us who run. If you run very much, and studies have actually proved this to be true, when you're a runner, you run better when you're running with other runners. You just naturally run better when you're running with others. That's true when you're running a foot race. It's also true when we're running the race of faith. God gives us the gift of community that we might run this race together and be blessed in it through the very gift of community. A question for, for this point to how, to how do we run this race is who you're running with and how is that helping you? In, in conclusion, since we're talking about athletics today, one of the things, we're talking about racing today, one of the things that brought me more fully into endurance athletics, particularly uh, Ironman triathlons, is the story of Dick and Rick Hoyt. And if you're familiar at all with them, you know that they were a father-son uh, athletic kind of a team. They were a team together, and, and they became a, a team that inspired millions of people around the world. And they inspired all of these people because, well, Rick, he was born with severe cerebral palsy. He was not able to speak or walk or do a lot on his own. But his parents, they wanted him to, to live as normal a life as possible. So they got him a computer, a special computer, where he was able to, to articulate his thoughts. And when he was about some of your all's age, uh, Rick articulated a desire to run in a local five-mile fun run. That brought in his dad, Dick Hoyt, who did not run, who had a heart condition at the time, was retired from the military already, and he entered this five-mile fun run. He pushed his son in a wheelchair for this five-mile run, and after the race, Rick Hoyt, through his computer, expressed that for the first time in his life, he didn't feel handicapped. For the first time in his life, he felt free. And, and the rest of their story is history, so to speak, because they ran the Boston Marathon. They were from that area dozens of times, I believe. They ran across the United States together with Dick pushing and Rick riding. One was the muscle. One was the heart. They did dozens of Ironman triathlons. And in one scene, in one of the videos of, of Rick and Dick Hoyt, of Team Hoyt, uh, you, see, um, you see Dick who's been swimming the 2.4 miles in an Ironman triathlon, and he, he gets to the shore, and he's been towing Rick in a, a rubber boat behind him, and he's emerging from the water. And if you've ever swam much of a distance like that, you know what it feels like to get vertical again and try to come up out of the water. And, and that's when Dick goes back to this boat and he, he lifts his, his grown son who can't get out of the boat himself and he, he picks him up and he carries him to the bike and he puts him in a basket and he rides over 100 miles and then he pushes him in a wheelchair for a marathon. And, and, and here's the thing about what they do together, what is said about what they did together. And it's this. Rick couldn't do it without his dad, Dick. And Dick wouldn't do it without his son, Rick. They did it together. I think there's some, a, very beautiful, a very beautiful lesson about grace and faith about that. 
about how God relates to us, about the life that God is calling us to. There's so much about us and about our world and our life. God could do it all, but God won't without us, and we can't without God. God is calling us into this divine relationship, into this spiritual dance that plays out in how we run the race of life. But friends, we got to put on our shoes, and we got to run. That's what we're called to. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.